Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. We are in a sermon series that I just started last week called The Blueprint, the church that God is building, not the church that man is building. And my first goal, which I've shared with you, is that we recalibrate and I remind you of what the church of Jesus Christ is and what it is that we do. I think sometimes when we go through difficult times and um, we go through seasons that can, be dis- can provide disillusionment, difficulty, maybe discouragement, we kind of can lose our grounding on what it is that we are and what it is that we're doing. And so I just thank God that his word is very clear about who his church is and what his church is supposed to do. And so that is my first goal. And my second goal is to talk to us at Northwest Church as a local church about what it is that we do and how we express the mission of Jesus Christ in our midst and in our city and in our context. And so I've shared with you a mission statement that we've come up with, which is Northwest Church is on mission with Jesus to see the lost saved and disciples made. And yes, that is a Ben Dixon rhymy way of saying we are all about evangelism and discipleship because we're not going to mess with the mission of Jesus Christ. The mission of Jesus Christ is to see the lost saved and disciples made. That was his last will and testament. That's what he told his direct disciples, and that's what his direct disciples continued to tell their disciples all the way to 2021. And so we're excited about that, but we have four words that we believe summarize the ministry of Northwest Church. Now, it may not fully encompass everything, but I want to share with you those four words. And listen, these four words don't matter if they're just words that go on a wall, vinyl lettering, and we kind of roll our eyes when we hear them every year, you know, sometimes that can happen. I've been a part of the church a long time, and I know how it can be. Every year we kind of do the Vision Sunday, and we kind of expand that and all that. But if these words do actually summarize what it is that we do here at Northwest Church, then it's very important for us to rally around that. When you know what your vision is, you know what to say no to. You know what to say yes to. We can't do everything but we will do the things that God puts in our heart to do. So I want to share with you these four words. And the first word is reach. The second word is restore. The third word is equip. And the fourth word is send. So reach, restore, equip, send. That is what we're all about. And so I'm going to share with you over the next several weeks um, sermons about these words and also share with you how we are actually accomplishing that, how we do that here. And so today and next week, I'm going to cover the word reach. Today, I want to talk to you about a church that reaches up to God in prayer. You might remember at the beginning of the pandemic, if you were here through all of the online services, even the outdoor services, you remember when we were outside and we were doing prayer meetings, we were in cars and FM transmitter and it was raining out. And you might remember when I was preaching on Pentecost Sunday and water's just falling over my face and all over my iPad and ruined it, and we were outside not having a clue what we were doing, and (laughs) God blessed it, but uh, those were funny times. They'll go in the history books of Northwest Church for sure. 
I felt like a lot of people were just watching me when it was 90 degrees outside and I was preaching and they're wondering if I was going to melt away in my sweat. And uh, none of you were thinking that at all. None of you. You were praying for me, but I appreciate that. I was halfway dying. It was 90 degrees one time. And I did make you guys worship with me for a whole hour outside in 90 degree weather. Some of you weren't there, but the ones of you that were... Woo, man, you were committed. I was not sure anybody was going to show up, but we did. And we were like throwing water bottles out, and that was supposedly illegal and whatever. But we didn't want people to die, you know, like literally. There's a lot of ways that you can. So anyways, I remember all that, but the Lord gave me a word during that time. And gosh, how we needed a word. When you're unsure about everything else and all that you're doing and how it's going, isn't it amazing how God can give you a word in the midst of that? And so the Lord put this in my heart. It was reach up and reach out. And that became sort of this statement, like a mission statement from the Lord, that we need to reach up to God in prayer and passionate praise, and we need to reach out to one another, and we need to reach out to the world around us. It was just very, very powerful and sort of focused us and dialed us in, and it's become part of our vision at Northwest Church. And I love how the Lord gives birth to something in the middle of a time where we don't know what's right or left or up or down. And so I want to talk to you about reaching up to God in prayer today because that is part of our mission. That is of utter importance to the Lord. And I want to do it by sharing with you a passage of Scripture that does not come to your mind typically when you think about the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, there are a lot of portraits of Jesus in the Scriptures. So if I say the name of Jesus or you're worshiping Jesus and you start to think about him, You know, you might think about Jesus with the woman at the well and how much he loved someone that nobody else loved or Jesus, the one that's sitting on the hillside and teaching his disciples patiently. Obviously, he was very patient with his disciples. Or you might think about how Jesus had compassion on the crowds or the miracle worker who can take a small lunch and feed thousands of people or the one that healed everyone who came to him, the one that cast out demons the one that blessed children. I I don't know the portrait of Jesus that comes to your mind, but I don't think it's the portrait that we find in Matthew 21. And so I wanna share with you what I believe will help us as we look to becoming a people that facilitate a house of prayer for all the nations. In Matthew chapter 21, this is a week before the crucifixion of Christ, and Jesus goes into the temple and he drives out all the money changers He drives out all of the animals. He drives out all the merchants. I mean, it's amazing when you think about Jesus doing this. Even says he turns over the tables. In other words, you're not gonna sit back in this seat again. He was very serious, and we don't often, I mean, I I doubt when you're praying to God, that's not the picture that comes to you of Jesus. But it's really important. He said something during that passage that we wanna look at today, which I believe is part of his mission statement that he wanted to impart to his disciples. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer. And the book of Mark furthers that statement by saying, for all the nations. My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Let me read to you in Matthew 21, starting in verse 12. It will be on the screen. Here's what the Bible says. And Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's, I believe, Isaiah 56. It's a quote. But you are making it a robber's den. And that's a quote from Jeremiah 7. We'll talk about those. 
and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant, and they said to Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? And don't you love what Jesus says right back to them? And Jesus said to them, Yes, but have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared your praise for yourself? And he left them, and he went out to the city to Bethany, and he spent the night there. Now, you might remember this is not the first time that Jesus did what we read about right there. The first time that Jesus went into the temple, and the text sometimes in a subtitle will say he cleansed the temple. In John chapter 2, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he walks into the temple and he does this very thing. And then he makes another statement that we don't find here, knowing that it is a different occasion. He says, zeal for your house will consume me. And that's a quote from Psalm 69, where David the king was actually living in a culture and a time where God's people were falling away. They were walking astray from God. And David, in all of his sin and restoration, had a zeal for God, and he had a zeal for the temple of the Lord. And what that meant was he did not want to desecrate the temple. But others were doing that because they were worshiping other gods. And then they would come into the temple like it didn't matter. In other words, we could say in modern terms, they lived one way, not at church, and they lived another way when they came to church. And David saw that, and he was angry about it. And so in Psalm 69, he says, zeal for your house consumes me. I'm passionate about it. So the first time that Jesus cleansed the temple in John 2, he actually quoted from David. What was he saying? He was saying that what they were doing in the temple was wrong and a misrepresentation of God. It was full of hypocrisy. So now we have from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he cleanses the temple. And then a couple years, two and a half years later, before he's crucified, he comes back and he does the same thing. And he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But I think it's important for us to get the context of Matthew 21. Let me share with you some things that I think will help it make more sense to us. People from all over the world traveled to Jerusalem during the Passover feast, which was the feast that was upon them. Devout Jews would bring an offering. They would bring two offerings. This was their expectation. The first was a shekel offering. That was the temple shekel. They were to present to the priest. Now, no matter where you lived, this was not the typical money that you used to transact with. You would use another type of currency. So when people came to the temple, they had to take their money and it had to be exchanged for temple money, right? This is why there were money changers. So Jesus saw them as they were in the court of the Gentiles in the temple. That's why they were there. However, they were actually extorting the people. They would charge them a hefty exchange rate of 15 to 20% because they had to get their money. Now, there was another thing that they did also at this time, knowing that all these people were going to come from all around. They had people that would sell lambs or sheep, and they would also sell doves. Now, we've talked about this before, but if you're going to come from a long ways away and you're going to take an animal with you, that animal may not make the journey. And so it wasn't wrong for them to sell animals when people came and they were going to present a sacrifice. If you were poor, you would have doves. That's why they allowed that as a concession. And if you were not, you would have an animal that was more expensive. And so Jesus did not have a problem with the fact that there were merchants. 
He did not have a problem with the fact that they were selling animals for the sacrifice or exchanging money. He had a problem with extortion, and he had a problem with where the merchants were. Now listen, it used to be, if you read history, you'll see that those that were selling these things, exchanging money, were outside the temple. But look what it says. It says that they were actually in the temple, and they had moved this merchant business into the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles is the only place where foreigners or strangers can come to learn about the one and true God, Yahweh, our God, Father God. And so when Gentiles were to come in to learn about the one true God, this is what they would see. They would see people were trying to take something from them instead of give something to them. It misrepresented the heart of God. And so if you've ever wondered if God gets angry, well, you can answer that question today. Yes, God does get angry. Yes, Jesus was angry. But he wasn't angry because somebody cut him off on the freeway. And he wasn't angry because his waitress or waiter brought Diet Coke instead of regular Coke. Come on, somebody. He's not justifying human anger. He's not justifying the reasons why we get angry because our spouse didn't say hello when they walked in the door. Or our kids didn't obey us at one word. His anger was that the people who knew God the best were misrepresenting him the most. And he was saying in his actions here, the people who know me, who are supposed to represent me, are supposed to do so, so that if a stranger or a foreigner comes, that they will receive from the true God of the Bible, the one and true God that we worship. And they were doing everything but that. Hypocrisy does drive Jesus crazy. In fact, it drove him to drive them out of the temple. So this is what Jesus does. In fact, in John chapter 2, you might remember it says Jesus fashioned a, a, a whip of cords. A whip of cords. Now, I don't exactly know how he used that. My personal, every now and again, I hear a preacher preach on that. He fashioned a whip of cords and like almost like he hit people. I don't think Jesus hit people. I think he was hitting the animals. That's what the cords were for. But uh, sort of a strange picture, no matter how you cut it. Anyways, he's, he's got a whip, you know. Jesus the Christ, you know. It's sort of not the portrait that we often have of Jesus. The hippie, you know, Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child, right? You know, he's a flower child or something with just this flowing hair. And, you know, Jesus would never get upset, you know. You know what I'm talking about. And so Jesus drives them out of the temple. He's absolutely angry. He rebuked them. This grieved him. And listen, it still grieves him. And he makes the comment, my house shall be called a house of prayer not a den of robbers. And so I want to share with you some thoughts that I have because we want to be a church that reaches up to God in prayer. This is a mission statement that I believe Jesus was not simply just talking about the temple, the brick and mortar. I believe he wants to mark his church to be a people of prayer. And so the first point that I want to make today from this passage is the church of Jesus Christ is a house of prayer. Verse 13, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you, he's saying to them, are making it a robber's den. Now remember, the temple was the place for God's presence on the earth. The place for God's presence on the earth. I am not trying to take away from the fact that this is a very important place. What I am trying to say is that Jesus wasn't just concerned about the structure itself. It was about the presence of his father. It was about the representation of Yahweh God. So when he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, let's recognize he is saying, my house. He's not saying, your house. 
it is not the house of the priests. It is not the house of Israel. It is his house. And we must say that about the church as well. This is not our house. This is not about our agenda. This is not about our likes and our dislikes. Consumerism does not fit the Christian at all. It's like skinny jeans that never fit to begin with. Consumerism is not something that the church should accept, embrace in any way, shape, or form because this is God's house. All this is is a house. It's a building. It's a structure. We now, the Bible would say, we are the house of the Lord. Last week, I talked to you about we are the living stones that he is building us up into becoming the house of the Lord. We are his house. This is just a physical structure. And so when I talk about the house of the Lord, I'm talking about place and people. When Jesus was talking about my house, he was saying, this is what I'm about. This is what the Father is about. And you've twisted it. You've made it something other than what it is. And not only was he concerned, he was angry. But what's he saying? He's saying that this is a place and you are to be a people where when others come, there is an atmosphere of prayer. There's an aroma of prayer. And what are we talking about when we're talking about prayer? We're talking about people that are humble, that know who God is, know what kind of power he has, know that when we come to him, he has and we do not have. The beautiful thing about the Christian life, my friends, listen, is that the way in is the way on. When you come to Christ, you humble yourself and you recognize that you have needs and even though you have sins, there is a savior that is more powerful than your sin. So when you come to Christ, you give him your sin and you say, you have and I do not have. You have everything and I am in need. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you cleanse me from my unrighteousness? See, I'm coming to a place where I recognize that I need need someone that's greater than myself to help me with myself. That's salvation. And so we come to him and because of his death and his burial and his resurrection, he forgives us. He cleanses us from our unrighteousness. But guess what? It doesn't stop there. We continue to live in a dependence upon God. Whenever you and I come to a place in our Christian life where we feel like we can't do it, that's a great place to be because you can't. But by his strength, you and I can We can live by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do what the Bible says. And every time we start to feel guilty or we start to feel like we can't do something, friends, we've got to come back to a place where we recognize that God has given us his word and he's given us his Holy Spirit. His word clarifies his will and his spirit empowers his will. We need to come to this place and we recognize that prayer is that place before God where we come to him and we say, God, would you move your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But he wants us to say it and he wants us to pray it and he wants us and wherever we are and wherever we gather to be marked with an atmosphere of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. The church, and I'm talking modern, I don't want to take away from the temple. I don't want to take away from the context. I understand it, but I just simply want to make a parallel, and I think it's fair. I think it's fair to make a modern parallel to the church. We have got to become a church that believes in the power of prayer because we know who we're talking to. We know what he's capable of. We know what he desires, and we know that he's hearing us when we pray. God wants to move, and he is looking for a people that begins to cry out to him, asking him to do it. Friends, we don't need to sit by frustrated, angry, upset. We need to come to God in prayer. You're, you're frustrated. I don't even have to ask for a show of hands. You're frustrated about something. 
You're upset about something. Something hasn't gone your way. But listen, if we're all about the f- focusing on the will of God, all we got to do is come to him. And I bet, listen, this is just my opinion. This is, you know, Ben's opinion. You can take it or leave it. This is not the word of God, but this is just what I think. I think sometimes the frustrations, the anger that we have is allowed to remain because we are not full of prayer. There you go. I'm just joking. I think it's true. I think that part of our angst, now, a frustrated person is a person that cares. But how you channel your frustration matters. So the next thing you do, the next thing you do, see people post and they get angry and they get upset and they, get, they, go, they go into a place of division and they justify it in the name of the truth. Sometimes we get off the truth and get onto our truth. And the methodology that we choose to use does not justify the truth itself. Come on, somebody. Just because we know the truth does not justify how we go about living our life. It's not just about being right. It's about living right. And the first place that we need to live right is before God in prayer. Because if we truly believe that the days are dark as they truly are, then why? Why are we not desperate for God to move? I'm serious, like beyond a sermon, listen to me. If the days are dark, then why are the people of God not the most desperate on the earth? The people who know their God, who does great exploits, the people who read the, the Bible, the one, I mean, you look at Daniel in the Bible and here's a guy, he's told not to pray. All he does is pray. He didn't get on Facebook and start posting stuff. He just got, listen, come on, he started praying and he, he didn't even get militant. He didn't even get upset. He just got on his knees. Daniel just got on his knees five times a day and he prayed and he pointed towards the temple, the place of God's presence. He pointed himself towards the temple and he prayed and they were trying to catch him. They were like, we can't catch him in any other way because he's a righteous man. Isn't that a great testimony? There's nothing we can catch this guy in. He doesn't steal, he doesn't cheat, he doesn't lie, he doesn't cuss or whatever, I don't know. He doesn't do any of that. The only way that we can catch him is if we make a law that you cannot pray. And then we'll get them. That's exactly what happened. What'd they do? They threw them into a lion's den. And, he, you know, God turned those lions into Aslan, you know, like five Aslans that were dead. I mean, Daniel's in there riding the lions, you know. He's like, I thought they were going to eat me. But he's on top of those things, and he learned how to ride a lion, which I'm going to do in heaven too. Amen. They became his furry friends because God shut the mouths of the lions. God honored his servant for praying. He did not honor the flesh. He honored that which is of the spirit. He honored a man that was devoted to him in prayer. God will honor a people that will devote themselves in prayer. I believe that sometimes the frustrations and the anger that we have is allowed to remain because we are not, we are not a people of prayer. I'm not trying to indict you this morning. I'm simply saying that God wants to push us forward. And sometimes I hear, and I, and I, and I want to push us more, I want to push this more because I'll hear, we, we're a church that prays. We are. But does that, is that an excuse for us to stop? Is that an excuse for us to stay where we are? Friends, I believe if the days are dark and the things are getting dim, then we need to go into a place of prayer as a church that reaches up to God more than ever before. If criticisms, if judgments are coming out of your mouth at a rate that is not less than the prayers that are going up to God, something needs to change. And it needs to shift today. God's, Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. What? He must have known something that we too need to know. He knows that the Father begins to answer us. Now look what we read about here in 
Acts chapter 2. I, I just want to make a comment about this. It's like probably my one and only point. I'm running out of time and I've got four points and I'm only on point one. So you know what's going to happen today. You're going to have to come back to another sermon to get the rest of the points, which you may not do because I hear there's a football game today. I, I can't verify that. He did not say, my house shall be called a house of music. He did not say, my house shall be called a house of fellowship. He did not say that my house shall be called a house of preaching. My house shall be called a house of prophesying. All of those we ought to do. All of those we ought to do. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. A house of prayer for all the nations. Have you ever noticed in Acts chapter 2, when Jesus had told his disciples in Acts 1, he said, wait in Jerusalem until... The promise of the Father comes, the precious Holy Spirit. Did you know it's 120 people are waiting in prayer for God to do something? 120 people are sitting there, wait, nobody's preaching, nobody's prophesying, they are praying. And it's in the middle of prayer, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and they all speak with tongues and prophesy. And then, then after this prayer meeting, after the Holy Spirit is poured out, the church is born and Peter gets up and preaches. I have this personal belief that the preaching should be grounded and founded on the praying. And when it is, the anointing comes. See, what we often read about, we say, man, that one sermon saw 3,000 people saved, but I bet you, I bet you it comes straight out of that foundation of prayer. It comes straight out of that foundation of prayer. Acts chapter 2, the church is born. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested for a short time, and they were brought out in front, in, in front of those that were officers and those that were the religious leaders and they warned them do not speak in the name of Jesus and they said should we obey you know God or men of course they're going to obey God and you know the first thing that they did after they got out of jail they didn't go to Chick-fil-a or Starbucks they went to the prayer meeting they went down to the prayer meeting and it's recorded in Acts chapter 4 that they begin to pray to God with the church they said oh Lord take notice of their threats this is a prayer you can read it take notice of their threats and would you perform signs, wonders, and miracles at the, in the name of your holy servant, Jesus? And would you give us boldness? And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was poured out. They received boldness, and they preached the word of God boldly. Once again, the preaching was preceded by the praying. Come on, but when, if we're going to reach out, we've got to learn how to reach up even more than ever before. If we want to have a fruitfulness in the world, it is going to be, it's going to be a, as a result of our faithfulness in prayer. You say, Ben, how do you know that? Every revival that we read about, it was a people that were praying. I've talked to you a little bit about the Welsh revival. It's just a bunch of young adults in this old church with pews, and they just begin to pray, and they even have stories about how they would get on their knees, and they would pray this weird prayer. I mean, in, in uh, the early 1900s, it made sense. It doesn't make sense to us today. They, the, Evan Roberts would say, bend me, O God. And what he was saying was, break me. Break me as a vessel that you could use me. Flush me out of all unrighteousness. It was this weird prayer that they would pray, bend me, God. And they would say this stuff for like hours. They would cry out to God. And did you know in a short period of time, only a couple years, that God swept through Wales, swept through a nation, and 100,000 people were saved in just a few short years? It was birthed in a prayer movement. It was birthed in a prayer movement. My house shall be called a house of prayer. We continue to see this throughout the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells his true son in the faith, Timothy, a young pastor in the city of Ephesus. He says, first of all. 
You ever thought about those words? First of all, what I want you to focus on first before anything else. I mean, he told him, you don't have a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. We quote that, right? But the thing he says in chapter two, first of all, I want you to be filled up with prayers and petitions and supplication that would be made on behalf of everyone who is in authority. Once again, we can get angry at those who are in authority or we can take that to God in prayer. Friend, I'm telling you, I'm not, this is the truth. We're gonna remain angry, frustrated, and upset with all the things that are going on and we're not gonna be the contribution that God wants us to be as his house of prayer. If we're a people that pray and we press into that more and more, God's gonna change not only our church, but he is going to change our city and he will change our nation. And it starts with the people believing that. It really does because I can say whatever I want, but if we do not believe what I am saying, it always starts with the faith of God's people to believe that God is more powerful than whatever we see. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. We're transformed by what we know and not just by what we see. We act because of what we know, not just because of what we see. If we live by the flesh, if Ben Dixon lived by the flesh, it w- you would not be happy. You would not be a part of this church. Did you know that it takes everything that I have, everything that I have to come up and just speak about hope? I'm as frustrated as the next person. I've got disagreements. I've got personal opinions. I've got all kinds of ideas. I get it. I live in your world. But listen, when you come to prayer, when you spend time in the word of God, he begins to massage your heart. He begins to transform you. It is God that gives you hope. It is God that puts something different in your heart where you can reach up and lay hold of the only one that can change what you see. You and I are the same. And we live in the same world. It takes everything I have to get up here and not just read the bad report that you get enough of on the news. I am talking to you about the good news. And it is the true news of Jesus Christ. The devil is very invested right now in dividing us. He's very invested right now in setting us against each other over little things. Not the mission of Christ. Not heretical teaching. He's invested into getting us to hate each other, dislike each other, disagree with each other because he knows that if the people of God come into unity, he starts to shake, he starts to quake, he starts to get nervous because when we come into agreement with our heavenly father, something begins to shift that otherwise will not happen. When you and I come together in a building like this, I don't know how many people are here or online, regardless if it's in here or online, we're coming together in this hour, the devil's nervous How can I sow into this field sinful thoughts, distracting thoughts? How can I sow into this field divisive thoughts? Oh yeah, he's invested because he's nervous of what he is going to lose. We're on the offense. The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. We are the advancing church. And the way that we advance first is through the place of prayer. It's not the only way, but it is the first way that we advance in the Lord. And so I believe that God is waking up his people in this hour. God is waking up his people to say, I want to be a part of the greatest movement that has ever existed and will ever exist on the face of the earth. That is the Christ centered movement that is the church of jesus christ it's not me it's not my house it's not your house it's not our house it's his house his church will prevail i don't know if i'm going to have any other time to tell you about these other wonderful points that i have from this passage i think that my time is coming to coming to a close 
I remember when we first started, me, me and a bunch of friends right before I got married, and uh, I started in street ministry and preaching in prisons. That's why I love yelling at everybody, you know. And I expect conviction. It was the biggest joke, right? Everybody always was convicted, but uh, never mind. I learned, I learned to preach in prisons and jails. You know, I felt like the Lord gave me a second chance, and so... Um, and so I went, I, that's what I did for the first couple of years of my Christian life. And, and one day, my friend and I were driving in Capitol Hill, and, or we were driving through Seattle, and we happened to be on Capitol Hill right there, and um, we heard the Holy Spirit. And in those days, it was like, you know, if you hear, you obey. And I believe the same is true today, but we were raw. And so even if we weren't sure, it was like, stop the car. And so we believe that we heard the Holy Spirit say, stop here, I want you to get out, and I want you to walk these streets. And it happened to be on Capitol Hill. We had no agenda. This is the truth. We had no agenda. We didn't know where we were going. So we stopped and we parked. Uh, they, Safeway used to have a parking, uh, a, a parking lot, and I think they didn't monitor it as much. You know, you wouldn't get in trouble if you parked there. Now you got to pay $100. Or... Yeah. Seattle has changed. We all agree. All right, so <laughs> too soon? Anyways, some of you live there. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I hate it. All right, so back in the day... <laughs> Seattle. Uh, so we parked there and we start walking the streets and the Lord gave us a vision to reach this place. And so we ended up almost two years every Saturday we were there and we would just walk the streets and we talked to everybody and everything. And I mean, I was introduced to, I mean, a lot of stuff. Okay. I mean, I remember, I wish I could tell you stories. I remember walking, it was like in a, a, a LGBTQ parade. Um, and uh, it was, it, that was a fascinating experience. We did not know they had a parade that day. And so we're sharing the gospel with all these people, and they were angry, like spitting at us and all this kind of stuff. So anyways, I got lots of stories if you're ever interested, like, hey, you want to buy me coffee? I'll tell you some things. It's fun. It's fun. Getting swung on a few times, that was great. Awesome. Yeah, because every, everybody's very secure in what they think. So I remember one time we, we there were, um, you know, there's these sex shops, these uh, pornography shops or whatever, and, uh, and, you know, they're just vile. I mean, I'm just going to tell you exactly what they are. They're, there's, they're full of perversion, and I don't care how sophisticated they look on the outside. I mean, it's just sick, okay, and it's what's sending a lot of people in the closet. It's, it's, it's just eroding their complete, complete spirituality, 100%, and so we walked by this place, and there was no sophistication. I mean, it was just... Um, lewd and crude stuff on the outside, and it, it was just nasty, you know, what you could see, and, and just people coming in and out, and so I'm not, I wasn't here to judge anybody, right? That wasn't my goal, but we were walking by this place. We walked by it several times, and we stopped, and the, we felt like the Holy Spirit told us, lay hands on the building, because not every local business I'm praying to make it. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you like it is. So when you say, let's pray for every local business, pray for most local businesses, so me and my friend are outside this sex shop, and we've got our hands on the building like this. People are coming in and out, and we're praying that God would shut down the shop. True story. I don't know what it looked like. I think the angels were all gathered around watching, saying, see what happens here. This is a great time. Within four months, that place was shut down. Now I want to tell you, yeah, that was the first one, and there were many others after that. And what I realized is God gave us authority but I didn't have to post. I didn't have to protest. I, I'm not against pro, you know, peaceful protest. I didn't have to do any of that. You know what I had to do? I had to pray. I'm going to tell you something. I believe that the body of Christ has lost the place of prayer. Jesus is saying to us, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And there's a resistance to the place of prayer. I guarantee it. 
I know because I've had to journey through what the place of prayer is really like, what it means, what it takes for us to go to the place of prayer. And God is highly invested in you and I coming back to this place of trusting him and relying upon him. Amen and amen. Amen. Now, I had other points, and I'm going to get to them next service, and you won't be here, but it'll be great. Thank you for praying for me. He came out at the right time. I bless him in Jesus' name. He makes me sound so much better. Thank you, sir. I... um. Listen, I was praying this morning, and I had a picture, and I want to share it with you because I think it's relevant as I close, Um, not necessarily just to the message or the part of the message I shared with you, but as we become a church that reaches up to God, here's what the Lord showed me. I had this vision, and I saw a person who literally woke up out of a dead sleep. You've done this before. You might have done that this morning. You woke up out of a dead sleep, and you all of a sudden had this urgency that I was, supposed, I was supposed to be up hours ago. How many of you experienced this? And when you, I, if you're like me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bull in like a, a, a tea shop, you know. I'm just, I, I, I jump out of the bed and I run in, I hit the dresser. <laughs> it's, it's not a pretty sight. And I had this picture of somebody just rushing when they got up and everything that they were doing, they're banging into the wall, they're not hitting the right light fixture. You've done this before to some degree, maybe not as aggressive as me, but it was somebody and they were aggressively trying to get ready because they were late. They were supposed to be up a long time ago. And as I saw this vision, as I watched this picture, I was kind of like, what in the world is this about? What am I supposed, what's the interpretation of this? As I prayed about it, I realized something. I believe that what the Lord is trying to show me I'm not saying this verbatim, is that God is waking up his people right now. Some of us, some of us were waking up on time. And so you wake up, you got plenty of time to get ready. You're going slow. You're taking your time. You're not getting cuts or bangs or bruises. You're just getting up on time. Isn't it a beautiful thing to get up on time? It's a beautiful thing. You got time. Get into the word. You pray. Get some breakfast maybe if that's your thing. Some of us are waking up on time, but some of us are waking up late And it's creating an aggression in us. It's creating an an abrasion, like we're being abrasive and aggressive. And we're blaming other people. Have you ever woken up late and you start blaming somebody else? Married people? Why did you turn the alarm off? I mean, and I believe in the body of Christ, the enemy is using what I believe is actually an awakening. There's an awakening happening right now. And the enemy is trying to sow into that as we are waking up to God, as we are waking up to our place before God, the enemy is trying to sow into the soil of that awakening that we would look at each other and blame each other for not saying anything or doing anything. I am watching people blame their churches like as if it is their fault for the spiritual condition that they find themselves in. I am watching people blame their churches. You should have. You could have. Friend, I want to tell you something. Anytime we take the trap of not going the way of personal responsibility and personal repentance, something is off in us. We don't become the contributor that God has called us to be. If our mouth is full of criticism and judgment, believe me, the Lord is not in that. I'm not saying this to you indirectly. I'm saying this to you. I believe God is waking us up, but as he's waking us up, he wants us to wake up together. He wants us to unite together. He wants us to come together. Doesn't the Bible say where two or more are gathered and as they're praying, he talks about the prayer of agreement, the power of coming into agreement. The devil is invested into dividing us. I believe when we come together 
as we wake up to what God is doing together, we unite our hearts, we move towards God in prayer, listen, the devil's gonna get nervous. We could share the gospel and not even do a good job. People are gonna get saved because the Holy Spirit will anoint our words. The Holy Spirit will breathe life on people that we meet. The Holy Spirit will be involved in the activity of the church because we're asking God to do what we can't. We're asking God to move because we're desperate for him to do something for our children and for this next generation. And for those of us that have felt like we've been on the bench for years and we don't know where to start, God is saying it's time. He's saying, I want you to start in prayer. I want you to rise up in prayer. Don't look to another and blame another. Unite your hearts. And as the Father himself says, as we do that, as we come into agreement, God will answer according to his will. This is what we desire. It's not popular. When you lead a church into a, being that prayerful church, it's not popular. But we can be a church of revival, but we cannot be a church of revival without being a church that reaches up in prayer. Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Is that what you want for this house? Is that what you want for your house? Will you stand with me and let's ask the Lord to do it? I'm not asking you to do it. Let's ask the Lord. Join, join your hearts. You go ahead and pray right now. Let's, Father, we do thank you right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that your word says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And God, we want to join our hearts to you. We lay down our agendas. We lay down our opinions. We lay down the things that we want and desire unless they are the desire of our heavenly Father. And so we pray in alignment with the Lord Jesus Christ that this house and our house will be house of prayer, that our hearts will be hearts of prayer, that our mouths will be mouths full of prayer. And I pray that you would wake us up, Lord, not so that we judge each other, not so that we're aggressive and abrasive and divided, but Lord, that we're united. We pray that you would unite your house. We pray that we would be the advancing church that you've called us to be. So whether that's we pray together on Wednesdays or Saturdays or Sundays or however it is that we come together in fasting and prayer or that's we're praying in our homes with our children and they see their moms and their dads on their knees, God, I pray that this would be a new day. This would be a new day. And we choose not to believe the report of the world because we have the word of our heavenly father that says, rise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Oh God, we pray that your glory would cover this earth. Let us be a people that when you come back, you find faith on the earth because your people are crying out in prayer. And Lord, we will not stop at prayer. We will start in prayer. And we will act because of prayer. But Lord, we pray that you would recalibrate us in this season. And that, Lord, you would cut off the plans of the enemy. Lord, you would cause our ears to be callous to the words of the enemy. We would not hear his voice. But we would hear the voice of our shepherd calling us into the green pastures of this place of fruitfulness that we so desire. God, we pray that you would take our feeble efforts and that you would breathe on them. You would take our dollars and you would breathe on them. You would take what we give to you and breathe on them. Oh God, thank you for awakening. Thank you for awakening my heart. Thank you for awakening your church. We are part of the answer in the world because you are the solution that we need. Oh God, we pray, touch us. Let us be a beacon of hope. 
Let us be a beacon of hope, not misplaced optimism, but true faith in what your word says. God, take our anger, take our frustration and replace it with hope and faith, aggressive faith that lays hold of the truth through prayer. Right now, if you need to exchange something with the Lord, if that's where you are, the criticisms of your mouth and of your heart, give it to the Lord. Ask him to exchange it right now. Just say, God, take my criticisms and my judgments. Take my division. If it's gossip, ask the Lord to take it. Take my gossip. Take my anger, oh God, and replace it. We're not doormats. We're not sitting by on the sidelines, not doing anything. We are people that are active, coming to our Heavenly Father. Lord, we ask that you would give us a divine exchange today. Change us, Lord. Change us. Help us to see that you are bigger than any problem that we face. You are more powerful than the powers of this world. Your truth is greater than every lie that we have ever heard in these days. And your faith is so much bigger than all the fear in the world. God, I pray for your church to advance. We desire to advance. I pray for us. We humble ourselves to you. Make us a house of prayer for all the nations. We love you and we thank you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yes. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.